everyone, this is Eric Renzel, and welcome to another episode of the Transportation Planner. Today, I'm excited to welcome a special guest. We're visiting today with Amy Ford, who serves as the director of the Mobility on Demand Alliance, which is part of ITS America. Hi, Amy, and welcome to our show today. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you could take time out of your schedule to visit with us. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Me too. Can we start by having you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your professional history? You bet. You know, it's it's always interesting that how you got here kinds of stories. But, you know, in part, when we talk about mobility on demand, I, I backtrack to my career actually at the Colorado Department of Transportation. So I've been in transportation, you know, for the last 20 years plus. And, um, you know, as I was at the Colorado Department of Transportation on this public side, of this world. It was a space where I not only was responsible for things like communications, so doing interviews on podcasts and telling the world about what we were doing in a Department of Transportation, but I also grew into the position where I was the Chief of Advanced Mobility. And you know, it's an interesting title when you when you have the title like that. And Advanced Mobility is one of these spaces that is a catch-all uh, for, for many people about things that are changing. And that's the reality that we live in here, you know, in the 21st century is that we have this transportation system that is evolving rapidly, that's being infused with private sector mobility services, uh, technology, and the tools that can change fundamentally how we move. And as an agency, the Colorado Department of Transportation realized that this was happening. And instead of sort of continuing to just say, hey, our job is to lay down concrete and asphalt and make sure that people can move on that. We started looking at how do you infuse technology and advanced mobility solutions into how we achieve our goals for transportation. And that's what we did. And in fact, one of the things that we did was we started the RoadX program. And for us at the time, RoadX was really defining this sort of unknown future. And yet, how do you make the unknown known? And especially in an agency that isn't necessarily built on innovation and it's not necessarily built on risk taking and looking at how the new uh, evolution of where mobility is going could be infused into the agency. So myself, along with a couple of other folks, were responsible for really jumpstarting the RoadX program, which really sort of propelled Colorado into being one of the national leaders in regards to technology and advanced mobility. And so as I closed out my working career, if you will, at, at CDOT at the time, I was the chief of advanced mobility. So that meant that our TISMO division, uh, which was part of operations and how do we keep people moving when you can't quite build your way out of congestion, to the RoadX program, to communications. And you'd believe that all three of those sort of intertwined together um, were part of my responsibilities. And it's always an interesting thing. And I'm sure you can imagine it, Eric, too, when you talk about culture change in an organization like that to start adopting those things. Yeah, absolutely, Amy. And that's, that's a great story that you've had. You know, a lot of times we're asked to help our clients with organizational change. And you know, you guys had great success in your time that you were there at CDOT, but it must have not been a smooth road the whole time. What were some of the challenges that just absolutely had to take effect for you guys to realize the success that you had while you were there? Yeah, you know, organizational change is a, is a tricky thing, and it, it requires a couple of things, I think, when you really get into it. Um, 
its leadership, it's the organizational processes and, and procedures, if you will, to enable it to happen. And it's a vision on, on what you're moving towards. And then it's partnerships. And those four pieces, I think, are, are, are a critical element to, to what organizational change looks at. You know, as we created the vision of RoadX, it was this audacious thing. It was, you know, how can we be crash-free, congestion-free, um, emissions-free effectively in, in the future uh, of transportation? And what does it take to do that? But, you know, when you start putting together a program like RoadX, you have to have people sort of see it and understand it and believe in it. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we had is what we did is we created a nimble organization within our organization, a very small group of people who were whose job it was was to solicit and to engage the private sector to basically look at what was always on the cutting edge to be able to test and to engage with that with the private sector with dollars, which was a unique piece to this, and then be able to sort of say, yes, this is something that is successful and we think it should move forward, or gosh, no, you know what, we don't think that this is a solution that really matches the mobility needs that we have. So when I say those things, you got you run into a couple of challenges. Number one, money. The moment we decided to dedicate around $10 million to $12 million attached to innovation strategies like this, the natural question always comes up, why are you spending money on this when we've still got potholes on our road to be able to fill? And that was a hard discussion, both you know internally with people who don't always see that they have the budgets that they need in wanting to accomplish what they can accomplish, whether it's from planning to maintenance, to guardrails, to communications, to finance and others. So that's that's a difficult conversation. And the second difficult conversation is also externally, that same kind of discussion. So how do you always communicate that taking technology in and being able to be on that edge where you're starting to look at this and be able to innovate is important? So that was one of the big challenges that we had. The second challenge was, was with, frankly, the size of the group. When you create a smaller group like that to be able to innovate, to be able to go out and to, to work and engage on the external side, how do you keep that message moving in the internal side and the vision and leadership? So one of the things that we worked long and hard on is how do you incorporate that in and work it within a 3,000 person organization? How do you actually institutionalize these concepts of advanced mobility? Frankly, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of education. It's trying to engage them in innovation partnerships and the like. But that is not always an easy task, and it's something that can be a challenge. The last piece, I think, of all of this that you always want to work on is that could be a struggle, frankly, is the policies and the procedures. You know, all good intentions run into procurement and all good intentions run into planning processes. And, you know, one of the examples that I always used is here we were, we're starting to become on the leading edge of how we're thinking about technology and connected vehicles, for instance. We've run an autonomous vehicle demonstration that ran a, a beer truck 100 miles down one of our highways. Um, we're out talking now nationally about some of what we're doing, and yet we're going through an EIS process that is looking 20 years out for a project that isn't talking about connected vehicles yet. It isn't modeling them for sure. And so it's how do we start incorporating some of those processes into existing planning processes or existing procurement process that allow for some of this nimbleness and this adjustment to where the future is taking us and changing so rapidly. So we, we definitely had some challenges. And But the cool thing was, is you started seeing people come along with that 
in the three years that we were doing Rodex and the time that I was working on this, we went actually from a public side of people never really thinking about technology to three years later when we did our traditional survey, if you will, of the public saying, what are the primary things that CDOT should be focused on? Do you want to know what the number one thing was? Technology. And we were utterly shocked by that. But it was, I think, a combination of the work that we had been doing along with sort of the, the public conversation was also changing too. And so, but you have to be purposeful about how you do that change. You can't just do it willy nilly. You have to have really almost a change management process in play to be able to facilitate it. Well, that's really interesting, Amy. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. It really, to me, paints a path that must have been the one you followed and what interested you so much about joining the team at ITS America to Mm -hmm. be the director of the Mobility on Demand Alliance. Tell me about a little bit about the Mobility on Demand Alliance. Well, you know, as we sit and we look about how intelligent transportation is really transforming how we move, I think that the, the, the natural place that people go right now is to the hardware and the software that's making that happen, whether it's connected vehicles or autonomous vehicles. But what we also recognize is the landscape of mobility changed radically in the last 10 years. And that was all because we put the capacity of smartphones and other devices in people's hands, and it put the customer in charge of deciding how their mobility would work. And you, compa- you, you couple that with companies like Lyft and Uber that rose up and started reshaping how people interacted with their mobility. And in a lot of ways, that was what the Mobility on Demand Alliance is all about, is the fact that you started seeing the silos of transportation break down between transit to roadways to cities and infused with private sector mobility providers that were really transforming how people accessed and, and, and engaged as a customer with mobility. And that's what the Mobility on Demand Alliance was about and is about, is that as you start looking at these transitions in mobility, you recognize that It's not just the mobility services that are changing. It's how people plan those trips. It's how they start maybe planning from point A to point B and how do they get there seamlessly. Maybe even how do they engage from payments perspective seamlessly. It starts taking all of these layers of the infrastructure services that people might look at and how how does it manage when you have vehicles that are pulling up on your curb and dropping people off or dropping cargo off and how does that impact how you manage that infrastructure? Or how do you operate it as a road operator? Or how do you engage with a private mobility provider who drops a brand new version of mobility services like scooters on your your streets? And when you start talking about that, I think people recognized a couple of things. Number one, that it's transforming how people are moving, which which is critical and it's impressive in the rapidity and how fast it happened. But number two, it comes with its challenges, whether it's issues of how you use curbside or how you think about seamless trip planning uh, that someone can access with an app or how you handle the insurance of something that happens when I'm riding my scooter and I am on the sidewalk and I run you over, Eric. And how do you cap- hey, how do you handle that from an insurance perspective? Or how do you handle the fact that you have these, these devices and this planning now that has data that could help us think about how we manage our roadways? And that's what the Mobility on Demand Alliance is designed to do. 
It's designed to advance seamless mobility. It's designed to look at the policies from a national perspective and, the, and others that allow and continue to encourage how we incorporate mobility and especially on-demand mobility into our transportation landscape. But it's also designed to do programs and research and frankly projects uh, and coordinate meetings and networking that allow people to tackle some of these really significant issues that are still in play like data sharing, for instance, that uh, that we know are continuing to be discussed, but really to give everyone a forum and a tool by which to have those conversations. And the MOD Alliance, just like ITS America, is unique because it is a transportation fueled by technology for safer, greener, smarter world. But it's also one that has both public members like cities and states and MPOs and transit agencies, along with our private sector partners like the car companies, like OEMs, like companies like Lyft and Uber and GM and Ford. Companies like Gannett Fleming and our A&E firms who are, who are creating this future, and it allows all of them to talk together. Yeah, I think that's an important part. I think a lot of our folks that will probably listen to this podcast have been familiar with ITS America for years, and they might remember that, you know, in early days, it was really focused on, you know, highlighting the technology that's out there and giving those technology vendors, whether they be startups or tried and true companies, a platform to kind of show the next generation of tech. I think mm-hmm. for me, what the Mobility, Mobility on De- Demand Alliance is, is ITS America's recognition that the tech is super important and we have mm-hmm. to keep providing that platform, especially to startups and innovators, because that's such an important part of this going forward. But it seems like the Mobility on Demand Alliance is a recognition that the user, the user experience, um, social topics like equity, um, making sure that we have universal access for all, Mm -hmm. those seem to me to be some of the core areas that Mobility on Demand Alliance is uh, focusing on. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it really is. I think the, you know, it's funny, MOD, when you talk about it, it's the on-demand part of it. And what it really does is it puts the customer in the driver's seat, pun intended, I guess, you know, and 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 how you sort of put the value sets of what you're trying to accomplish for the customer as equal footing in the conversation. And I think that that's the, that's the interesting part of it. And I think issues of equity and accessibility are a huge piece to that discussion. Um, it's, it's easy to see how technology writ large or even on-demand tools and services can be used to support only just a, a certain part of our population and how they move. And I think that the interesting thing that you have happening right now is the recognition from public agencies, as well as the private sector agency uh, service providers and others, that we can and we should do better. So how do we take this 21st century evolution of technology and mobility and and use it to um, not right the wrongs of the 20th century, but do better? and be more purposeful and cognizant about the goals that we're trying to achieve, that it's not just about moving people, uh, that is obviously one goal, but moving people in a way that is accessible for all and seamless for all. So I think that that's a big piece to it. And like I said, again, it puts that customer interface 
much more directly in, in people's hands, whether it's from our planners to the people who are providing the services to others. It's, it's really thinking about that customer interface. And let's be honest, you know, as I put my old DOT hat back on, you know, how we thought about the customer was very big and very mass. And the, the, the ability of the private mobility providers to individualize that experience and literally put it in someone's individual hands, it has, has changed uh, the expectations, I think, about how we think about transportation, what we can gather from a data perspective, how we need to think about the diversity of movement in a, in a much more robust way. How do we think about how people actually plan their trips and do that and the tools that enable that and the technology that enables that and how we really can then take that fact that it's on demand now and use it to manage our system much more robustly. So at the underpinning of all of this, technology enables it, but it really is about that customer side first. So throughout our interview so far, you've used the term mobility on demand. Mm -hmm. I know that the European model is <laughs> mobility as a service. Right. Can you describe in your words the difference between the two of those and why mobility on demand made sense as the term of choice for ITS America. Right. Yeah. It's so fascinating. You know, I go around the country right now and I actually have this conversation. I ask everyone in the room and I've done it with like rooms of 50 to rooms of like 500, like, all right, what is it? Is it mobility on demand or is it mobility as a service? And everyone texts me their answers that I can tell you, there is no consensus in the industry sort of where it could be and should be. But here's the basic definition that I like to use. And I think it's fairly consistent with some folks, except, you know, again, there's just a lot of variety. Mobility on demand can talk about the services themselves. So on demand services that can be provided to people as they move forward, uh, you know, whether it is ride sourcing to the lifts and the Ubers, to micromobility, such as the scooters, to microtransit services, to car share services and the like. The idea that these on-demand services are, are there to support you. But part of the overlayer of the on-demand is that the idea that it's seamless mobility for all and that there's a system behind it that is managing sort of that on-demand element. So I sort of chatted about it a little bit earlier. You know, it's the idea of the infrastructure services and how they are part of this on-demand uh, system. How do you think about your, your bicycle lanes? Are they really bike lanes anymore? Are they really anything but car lanes? And how do you engage in that? How do you think about your curbside management and the operations of that? How do you use pricing systems, for instance, to incentivize different kinds of behavior of, let's say, drop-off and curbside drop-off? Or better yet, how do you think about payment systems, like how people seamlessly plan that trip? How do you put all of those pieces together from operator services to infrastructure to the customer facing side to the mobility services themselves that are on demand? And that's that's sort of the system of mobility on demand. I think when we talk about mobility as a service, I think a lot of people start putting that together as the actual customer interaction itself. How do you take a platform and how do you take the tools to be able to allow someone to plan their trip from point A to point B? And how do you do that in a way that is seamless from the trip planning perspective, as well as the payment platforms and the integration behind the scenes to be able to make that happen so that they then can take mobility and maybe even apply it, especially in a European model, as you're starting to see 
as a subscription service such that people can think about mobility uh, the same way that we think about travel, that you have, you know, your $50 in for how you move and you choose the mode and how you want to move those on-demand services as a part of that. But I'd be curious, Eric, how do you see the difference when you sort of look at MOG versus versus MOS? And do you think one should be the boss term? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm like you, Amy. I think that um, there's really not a lot of value in spending time on, uh, you know, transportation vocabulary. I think that both of them have merits, and I think at some point the terms will probably merge, or at least the understanding of them will merge. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I've felt that mobility as a service um, was something that was maybe more closely related to where our a company like ours would want to go in the services we offer our clients. Mm-hmm. But with that said, even in the idea of using mobility on demand, I think the common points are more interesting than what's different. I think the common right. points are having a robust system, having a true multimodal approach to how we think about journeys and planning transportation trips or trips that involve transportation and thinking about a lot of the policies and regulations and work that needs to go into really modernizing the way we look at transportation in our country is more interesting than worrying about which term is right. Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting. We're going to be, uh, as part of the alliance, doing a practitioner study, a national census, if you will, of practitioners, both in the public and the private sector, to sort of talk about this. You know, do they have the tools they need to think about it? Do they, are, are they, are they, uh, what's been their interactions so far? You know, how do they look at these terms of mod and moss and does it, does it matter, frankly? And, um, and, and part of that, uh, practitioner study, I think, will get us into the idea of how people are really taking this, what is frankly sort of a different lens, if you will, of um, mobility and, and overlaying it over sort of the kinds of transportation that they do. And so I, I think you're right on the mark there. You know, what are the reasons that we chose the Mod Alliance? And we have pretty significant partnerships with the Moss Alliance, which is in Europe, actually, and um, was in part because the FTA asked us to. And one of the reasons that they asked us to is they thought about mobility on demand was because, again, it laid to that broader system. So in their mind, it was more than just creating an integrated payment platform that integrated our transit system, which, of course, is the backbone of much of these mobility services in with how you would integrate it with a Lyft and an Uber ride or, or, or a bike share or a scooter share. Um, that it really was about the systems integration. And I think that you and, you know, the work that you guys do and the planning services that you provide and the like about how do you integrate partnerships with mobility services, the right policies, but then how do you take it internal? You know, how do I, you and I talked about this, you know, how do our operators who are sitting in traffic operations center as part of our TISMA work, now start adjusting the data that is coming from all the scooters and in real time move those scooters around town so you make sure a certain low-income neighborhood still has access to scooters, that they're not all grouped on a certain part of town. So those are the kinds of things, I think, from a systemic perspective that, um, that, that build what kind of mobility we can start helping people think about. So Amy, as you and I sit here today recording this uh, episode, 
we are both under stay-at-home orders uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. We've heard some of our clients uh, report that this has impacted travel in their, or I should say it's reduced uh, personal vehicle travel in their states by as much as 50% on their interstates and even across the, you know, the cities and the towns. Mm-hmm. And we further heard that uh, some of our toll uh, partners are, you know, losing millions of dollars a day in revenue. Right. As you look at the world through your Mod Alliance lens and drawing on your past as a public uh, public official, what do you see for the future of transportation you know, specifically thinking about planners who, uh, you know, we're focused on here, but overall, uh, what do you see for the future of transportation coming out the other side of the pandemic here? Yeah. You know, what is our, what does our post COVID-19 mobility and transportation system look like? And, you know, the interesting thing is I think we're at the point where we sort of have uh, two futures, you know, we could go back to normal and I'm air quoting that. I'm sure you can all see that on the podcast right now. Um, you know, we could go back to normal and, and, and I think in some ways you will, but I think that there are some real questions that we have about how we can take the opportunity of the disruption that has happened with, with COVID-19 and point ourselves to a different future or one that is more purposeful in how we were integrating mobility services. You know, the interesting thing that you're seeing happen right now, so congestion is way down, transit is being decimated, right? Because the idea of shared rides and people being in close proximity to each other is scary for some. And for those who can choose not to, they are choosing not to. But for those who are transit dependent, it is putting a real challenge into their mobility and how they move around. Things like micro mobility, uh, such as scooters and the like, you see some instances where cities have banned them because of the risk of transference of the uh, virus because of the devices themselves. And in others, uh, micromobility such as that, or even rideshare like Lyft and Uber are deemed as essential services and they are still moving. And as you come out of this, I think that we now need to start thinking about, you know, with let's say your clients and others, what this future looks like. So let's let's do a, a, a short term future, a short term future. A few people, fewer people get onto transit services because they're still worried because the virus is still with us. So they're being very careful about social distancing. Maybe there is a rise in use of micro mobility tool services because it's an individual ride and they can more easily get around on those. But you have to think about sort of how you do protective services and the, the health side of all of that. Congestion probably goes up because people get back into their cars again and they're going to drive on their own. And so the idea of single use ridership, when we were in a trend where you're starting to see more on shared use rides and the like, starts to happen. Are there policies or are there things that we should be thinking about as policymakers on that would help us think about that future in a different way so it doesn't go back to what we had before? Um, how do we then th- start thinking about the integration of automated services in this space? In a short-term planning horizon right now, of course, all automated services are off the road. But I think you know, we're seeing already in China that the delivery services through automation is starting to rise. The idea of automated services from a transit perspective being one uh, tool and sort of how you space yourself out. 
So I think that having your finger on the pulse, pulse of these tools, I think is really critically important. How do you think about what changes in people's behavior that will inform these on-demand services and how you how you plan it for, for the future. You know, I'd be curious to see what you and your planners think. And, you know, it'd be an really interesting exercise for us all to go into this where we can start talking about it more cohesively. Because I think how we take the national roadmap and how you really plan for this future five years and 10 years out we, I think we all understand that perhaps some stimulus dollars will come back in and they will be allocated again into tra- infrastructure and, and transportation as they have already been. And I think that we should look at the opportunity of whether or not we should be reshaping this space. Well, that's really, that's a great vision, uh, Amy. And I think it gives us some insight to probably where you're headed in the next 12 months with the with the with the mod alliance we have just a couple minutes left um just tell us um you know how do we connect with the mod alliance where can we find you social channels web and all that and you know if there's anything else you want to add about where you see the mod alliance going in the next 12 months that'd be great yeah, that would be awesome. And, and gosh, we'd love to have you all participate in that and in those discussions. So a few things that you'll see coming up, you know, sort of more more immediately. Uh, obviously, we're all going online. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we'll be uh, doing is uh, we are going to be hosting a few uh, online meetings, uh, and some of which uh, actually you all have participated in with us in person. Um, you're going to have an insurance mobility workshop uh, that will be coming up that will be online where we're going to talk about that issue of what happens when I hit you with my scooter and uh, really what's happening state by state and what kind of requirements are, are part of that kind of transportation planning. You know, it's funny, we always talk about the people movement side of it, but we we also need to be focused on the risk elements in this part of this mobility ecosystem. So you'll start seeing that here uh, in about a month or so. We'll have an online uh, forum uh, that will be engaged there. We're actually uh, hopefully going to launch our mobility on demand uh, practitioner studies uh, here coming up. And in fact, some of your members, if you ever wanted to, or some of your uh, employees and team could participate with us in our programs and our policy uh, committees that help us shape what those studies are looking like, but also help us shape policies as we move into things like stimulus packages and the like that help us continue to advance mobility on demand. And then as we come into, you know, the summer and into the fall, look to us to be in states. Uh, We were launching uh, a regional state mobility on demand forums. Uh, We had just done our first one in Kansas City, in fact, and uh, we were going to be doing a few uh, through the Midwest. So there will be one in-person one, we hope, in uh, in Des Moines in um, November. And uh, we are going to be in uh, D.C., Virginia area and the like. And this is where we're pulling together with private sector partners like planners from Gannett Fleming and the the MPO members and the city members and others on a real conversation about mobility on demand in that region. And um, so look that those meetings will be coming up. We're doing it in partnership with the ITS chapters in the area as well. And so that will be coming down the pike soon. 
So you can obviously find us all over social media. So modalliance.org is naturally one place online. We're on LinkedIn, the Mod Alliance, as well as on Twitter. So just follow us, some of the information that we're sending out, and then actually uh, sign up. Uh, eventually, we're going to have a newsletter that will be going that will keep you apprised of all of the, the MOD happenings around the country. It's uh, It's an exciting time, and I think it's an exciting time, frankly, to be a planner in this space is how do you harness this rapid change? How do you actually make it even more powerful to the individual customer? Because the tools and the technology and the partnerships are there to really drive mobility at this individual level. And what does that then mean for an entire community or an entire region as you start thinking about how people move? Well, Amy, I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks so much for being here and visiting with me on our podcast. Thanks, Eric. This is a lot of fun. And I can't wait to see how you guys continue to help shape this future. Because very frankly, Gannett Fleming is, is does have its finger on the pulse of this, thinking robustly about the integration of all of these kinds of mobility services. And we're excited to have you all as part of a member of the Mod Alliance and, and, and ITS America. And, um, you know, alliances like these exist because we are there to try to help you help people move. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Transportation Planner. As usual, be sure to check out our internet page for more episodes and let us know if you have an idea for an episode you'd like us to record. Thanks everybody and have a good day.